Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Power Show, Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. Halfway through December, and that means that a new year is approaching, which is always fun. Okay, we're in the middle of the Torah portion of Ayechi. Today is Wednesday, so they tell me. Today is Wednesday. Kidding, I know that. And, and um, the, co- the topic of conversation is the final words and blessings that Yaakov gives his sons before his passing. Yaakov lived, as we, we read already in this week's Torah portion, he lived 147 years. It's toward the end of his life. He gives his final will and testament. To his, well, he gives his final wishes about his burial to his son Yosef. He blesses his grandkids, Menashe and Ephraim, or Ephraim and Menashe, as the order is. And then he gathers his children, all of his children, around his bed, to give them words of blessing, words of prophecy, words of whatever it is, as we'll see, he, to speak with them, each one of them, before he passes away. What's interesting, as we discussed yesterday, is that the Torah says he wished to reveal that to them, uh, or actually he said, I, I wish to tell you what's going to happen at the end of days. Some sort of end of days um, prophecy. And as the commentaries point out, we don't see any record of that. Like... When's Mashiach coming? Mashiach is coming in the year. Oh, sorry. Can't, can't tell you. I mean, that's kind of what happened. He's like, let me tell you what's going to happen at the end of days, and then garnish, nothing. It says that the spirit of prophecy departed from him, the divine spirit um, left him at that moment, so he realized it's not, it's not desired. You know, there's a, there's a, I, I, and I gave an insight yesterday into this. We spoke about um, him thinking that maybe his sons weren't worthy, and they reassured him, no, we're, we're on the same path, we're following in your footsteps, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad, God is our God, God is one, we believe in Hashem, and then he said, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem Kavod Machotel he says, thank God, and I mentioned that dialogue, what I didn't mention is another little angle on this, and this, is, this comes from the teachings and the insights and the commentary of the Rebbe on this, on this story. The Rebbe basically says, that if Yaakov, Jacob, would have told his sons when Mashiach is coming, so it would have made our job a little easier. Because knowing when it's going to be can make the journey all that more manageable. You know, one of the most difficult parts of any journey is when you don't know how and when it's going to end. You know what I mean? It's like not knowing... Not knowing when, how, what, what, not knowing that uncertainty, not knowing and having that uncertainty is what amps up the anxiety. It, it, it just makes things a little bit more complicated to navigate. So, for example, just speaking very, very real for you and I, I mean, the fact that we, well, we have a long-standing Jewish belief in Mashiach, but if you knew that today Mashiach was coming, let's say you knew 100% guaranteed that today Mashiach is coming, yeah? your day would look different, be more positive, right? If you knew when that, so it, it would just be a different experience. And so Yaakov wanted, Jacob wanted to share that with his children, but what that would do is it would take away, on some level, their own effort, the effort of his children and, and their children and their children and their children, and all of us throughout all these years. It would take away from that because not knowing forces us to work hard even without that place of knowledge and to really earn the redemption that we're going to create. Yes. It's about faith, right? Yes. I mean, that's what I was going to 
asked last night too at the end you know we we're not to see god but right he wants us to connect with him right through this boat and prayer and faith in him so that's it to have faith in him even though we don't correct so if yaakov would have shared the the end of days that time it would have taken away from our faith, from our contribution, and our you know holding on. It would have been a little, a little easier for us, and that's not what Hashem wanted. Hashem wanted that this be manifest and created through our efforts. As we've said many times, God wants a home in this lower realm. That this space be transformed to a space that is conducive to godliness, and that means that it's us through our own doing, and not from external, you know, stimuli. If God, would, if, if God were to make his own home, he doesn't need, he know, he doesn't need to do that for himself. It's about us doing work. it. If we knew it was coming, we wouldn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, right, we'll be like, oh, okay, so it's coming anyway. Yeah, right, that's another point, <laughs> exactly. Not only would it be easier, it would be like, all right, I guess we have some time. I guess, you know, might as well uh, hit, hit a vacation and whatever, yeah. Right, so Yaakov certainly had good intentions and he wanted to encourage his children and make sure that they, 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 they see the destination and they know when it is. But Hashem says, good intention, but it's not, it's not going to work out. Okay, so what does he actually tell his children? He tells his children about themselves, about their lives, about their destinies, as we will see right now. So I'm going to share my screen with you. This Torah reading, once again, is Vayechi. We're up to reading number four, and we did the first verse yesterday, where Jacob called his sons and said, Gather, and I will tell you what will happen to you at the end of days. And that's it. That's all we hear about the end of days. Um, that didn't come to pass. He didn't end up telling them anything about that, but that was his preamble because he wanted to, and then he wasn't able to. So he once again says to his sons, Gather and listen, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. You see this line? It's very powerful. He's speaking to his kids in a very poetic way. He says, gather and listen, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. He calls himself Jacob and Israel in the same verse. Are you with me on this? Yes? See, he uses both of his own names in speaking to his children and telling them to listen to him. He starts with Reuben. Reuben, Reuben, you are my first born, my strength, and the first of my might. That means, by the way, that he was the first of his conception. First of my might means the first, from my first, I mean, it's kind of a repetition of firstborn. The idea is um, my, the first born of mine. Okay. And look at this, look at this bracket. Look at this bracket. This is from the commentaries. You should have been superior in rank and superior in power. Now, in the original, it just says superior in rank and superior in power. But what he really means to say is that you should have been. You should have been superior in rank and superior power. You had it all. You had greatness laid out right in front of you for the, ta for the taking. Didn't work out. You have the restlessness of water. You have the restlessness of water, or as Rashi says, not restlessness, but recklessness. You were reckless as water. Now, why is water reckless? We're going to go through this in a methodical pace. I'm not going to run through it because it's, it's very poetic and allegorical. So let's understand what we're saying here. He's talking to his son, Ruvain, and he says, you had it all. You had it all, but it slipped between your fingers. 
Because you are reckless as water. Why is water reckless? Well, you know what water does. Water slips between your fingers. Water is always leaking when there's a hole. Water is always moving, very fluid, not so stable. You had the ability, Ruvain, to be the greatest of your brothers, to be the, the one to carry my primary legacy forward. And you had good, good intentions, but it just didn't come to pass. As we've discussed multiple times, as we've discussed many times in these sessions together, Ruvain, Ruben, always had good intentions. He wanted to defend his mother's honor, so he moves his father's bed. Oy. He wants to rescue his brother, so he suggests that, he, that, we throw, that they throw him into a pit. Oy. Yeah, he wants to secure Benjamin's uh, safety, and he pr therefore promises the life of his own kids. Oy. He has all this energy and all these good ideas, but he can't finish. It's like he can't get it done. He can't seal the deal. You're as reckless or as restless as water. Therefore, back inside, verse 4, therefore, you shall not have superiority. Yeah, you shall not. So you were born superior in rank and superior in power. And that was your destiny, but you shall not. You shall not have superiority. Why? Primarily why? For you ascended upon your father's couch. That means your father's bed. When he, when he dragged his father's bed into his own mother's tent, that, that went too far, and at that point, he gets cut. Then you profaned him who ascended on my bed. The idea here is that it's not just a bed. It's a... Right, a, a marriage, family, the idea of procreation, these are very holy things in Judaism. It's very holy. It's a holy institution. That's why marriage is called Kedushin. Marriage is called in Hebrew Kedushin. You know what Kedushin sounds, sounds like? The word Kedusha, which means holy. Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. Kedushin is not just marriage or a wedding or a party. It's a sanctification. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an experience. And so what we have here is something very important. The message that we have here is that it's not just me who you messed with. You profaned him who ascended on my bed. In other words, God himself. God is involved in these areas as well. It says in the creation of a child, there are three partners. The father, the mother, and God. The father provides, this is what it says in the Talmud, the father provides the white, the mother provides the red, and God provides the soul. What's the white, what's the red, what's the soul? Well, the soul, okay, fine. What's the white, what's the red? Different commentaries explain different things. Some say the bones, the white, red is the blood. How is this biologically? Consult your local uh, doctor or biology expert and all that stuff. It's, I'm sure there are commentators that try to explain it and, and, and make sense of it, but I'm just giving you a little translation. It says the father provides the white, the mother provides the red, and God provides the soul. The point is that God is involved. It says that the bedroom is considered to be Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies. If a home is a temple, then where is the Holy of Holies? Not the kitchen, although it's a great place to be. The bedroom is the Holy of Holies. It's not just a, a place of physical connections. Or spiritual, spiritual, spiritual connections are happening there. And so, moving my bed was not just messing with me, it was altering the divine, the divine arrangement as well, and that went too far. This is um, 
Jacob's final words to his oldest son, Reuven. You can imagine it's hard to hear. If you're Reuven, it's hard to hear this. You had it all, and you lost it all. Wow. Talk about a final word. Shoo. Man, I, I know I called these blessings, but uh, this one's a little bit harsh. Joy, did you want to jump in? Yes, I just, you know, I guess it's actions speak louder because everything Reuben did, he had, he came from a good place. He had a he good heart. He did. He tried to save his brother yes. against 10 other people. Yes. And he tried to save his, tried to, um, Help his father be consoled with taking Benjamin. And he tried to protect his mother. Yeah. But I guess having a good heart is not good enough. I, I, I feel you. And I'm getting the chills just hearing the way you describe that. And yes, I agree with you that he definitely had a good heart. And he wanted to defend his mom. And he wanted to protect his brother. And he wanted to save his brother. Yeah. What are you going to say? He's like the guy who tries his best, but somehow it kind of backfires. Not only does it not work out, sometimes it even goes, makes things worse. It's, I guess in life you need some mazel also. Not just good intentions, you need the mazel. Right, what's mazel? You need the, the luck, the good luck to get, to get things done. Yeah. All right, but that's, uh, this, bottom line, this is, what, this is what his dad tells him before he passes away. All right, on to Shimon and Levi. The next. What about Teshuva? Teshuva and. He did for the rest of his life. He did Teshuva. That's why he wasn't there when his brother got sold, because he was off doing Teshuva. But even that was misguided. <laughs> the Rebbe says, even that worrying about his own Teshuva at that time when his brother's in a pit, you should make sure you're with your brother and not running off to come back. He mis he misjudged that also. It's um yeah I I, I I'm I'm feeling for him also. I'm feeling. Uh, I'm feeling for him. He he really didn't. What, what is the purpose of of Jacob reiterating of Yaakov's thing? admonition? Uh, what's the purpose? I don't know. I don't know. Is it just to rub salt in his wounds? Is it just to remind him of his uh, of his um, you know? I don't know. Lack of of his inferiority at this point. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, on a simple level, you could say he's just telling him what's going on. He's telling him that you're not going to be the you're not going to be the leader. I've given that to Judah. Judah's going to be the leader. He'll be the mighty leader, and 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 that's it. I mean, maybe he's just calling it out for what it is. I'm sure there are commentaries on it. I'm sure there are commentaries on it that explain, you know, maybe in a nicer way exactly what's going on. But anyway, okay, let's go. Let's move on to Shimon and Levi. That's the next two. Sons, Shimon and Levi. They were the ones, just to remind you, they were the ones who massacred the city of Shechem when they, Shechem abducted Dina. Shimon and Levi are brothers. Well, yeah, of course they're brothers. They're all brothers. But they're brothers in the sense that they are, that they are, um, that they work together. Not only biological brothers, but they're brothers in crime, so to speak. Brothers in crime. Brothers yeah. in crime. Stolen instruments are their weapons. Stolen instruments are their weapons. Um, what does that mean, stolen instruments? It means that their weapons of choice were, sorry, their instruments of choice 
were weapons. And that's stolen from my brother Esau. You see what I just did there? Jacob is saying, you stole my brother, my twin brother Esau. Esau was a, man, was a hunter, right? Esau was the violent man. Are you with me on what I'm saying? Jacob, right? Jacob is now blessing his kids. Jacob's own older twin brother was Esau. We haven't talked about him in a few weeks, but remember that guy, the, the hairy fellow? Yeah, he was the hunter persona, the man of the field. So Jacob is saying that you, my kids, Shimon and Levi, you guys are like my brother. Stolen instruments are their weapons, meaning you've, you've assumed the, the, the actions of my brother who was a hunter and who also hunted people. Just to show you this in Rashi. Why their brothers? They were of one accord in their plot against Shem and against Joseph. Yeah. Stolen instruments. Look at this one. This craft of murder is in their hands wrongfully, for it is part of Esau's blessing. Esau was the one who's the man of the field. And now my own kids are, are resorting to this. It is his craft, and you, Shimon and Levi, have stolen it from him. That's the way the measure explains what it means by stolen instruments are your weapons. So your implements, your instruments of choice in that incident, Bushchem, were weapons. You massacred a city. That action is stolen or borrowed or plagiarized from the script of my own brother, Esau. Listen to what he says here, also very harsh. Let my soul, says Jacob, not enter their counsel. I don't want to have, I don't want to have anything to do with, uh, with their plots and their counsel. My honor, you shall not join. My honor, he's referring to himself. He's refer, he said to us about a soul, my soul shall not enter their counsel. My honor, you shall not join their assembly. For in their wrath they killed a man, and with their will they hamstrung a bull. With their wrath they killed a man, that refers to Shechem and the city that they massacred, which we mentioned a moment ago. And with their will they hamstrung a bull, that's referring to Joseph. They were the ones that originally said, let's kill Joseph and, 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 and put that plot into motion. They were the ones that were the, the, um, the ones to, to rile this up. Um, Rashi says something interesting. We got we to look at Rashi. We got to look at Rashi. Because Rashi adds on something really powerful here. Take a look. Take a look. One second. Yeah, let my soul not enter their council. What's he referring to? Let my soul not enter their council. I mean, they already did what they did. So what does that mean? So Rashi says it's referring to something that's going to happen in the future. This is the future incident of Zimri that Jacob's referring to. When the tribe of Simeon gathered to bring the Midianites before Moses, and they said to him, is this one forbidden or permitted? If you say she's forbidden, who permitted you to marry Jethro's daughter? Okay, I'm just, just to remind you. Remember... Um, Balaam, the evil prophet, tried to curse the Jewish people, and he wasn't able to, but he gave some advice. He said to the Midianites and the Moabites, if you send your daughters to seduce the Jewish men, then that's how you can get them to fall, because they'll engage in, in immorality and promiscuity, and then at the, um, at the critical moment in the act of immorality, pull out an idol and say, you got to worship the idol to keep on going, right? And that's what they did. That's what, the girl, that's what these young women did. 
and they, they caused immorality and idolatry to be widespread amongst the Jewish people, and it brought a plague. Tens of thousands of Jews lost their lives in this plague. And what happens is the plague ends when Pinchas, remember Pinchas, the guy with the spear? He spears the, the Jewish prince and the, and the Midianite princess. Zimri and Cosby, and thank you. Yeah, Zimri, Zimri and Cosby. So Zimri was the prince of which tribe? Shimon. That's, that's who Yaakov is speaking to. That's who Jacob is speaking to, Shimon. Shimon and Levi. He says, I don't want to let my soul not enter their council. In other words, when they are going to start causing these problems later on in history, don't, don't drag me into this. Don't blame me. Don't, don't blame Grandpa Jacob. I'm not, I'm not part of that. So let my name not be mentioned in connection with that affair. Therefore, the Torah depicts Zimri back in Rashi as Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of, of, of a father's house of the Shimonites. But scripture does not write that he is the son of Jacob. This, when, when scripture describes who Zimri was, the guy who got killed by Pinchas, when the Torah describes his lineage, it ends with the fact that he was from the Shimon, the 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 the, the, the tribe of Shimon, but it doesn't attribute that tribe to being the son of Jacob. It doesn't go all the way back up to Jacob. So he's protected in that. His name is protected, if you will, in that situation. And he speaks about, um, my honor, you shall not join their assembly. What assembly? So this refers to Korach. Remember Korach, the one, the cousin of, of uh, Moses? So Korach, who was the tribe of Levi, um, assembles the whole congregation of Moses against Aaron. So Jacob says, my name shall not join them there. As it is said, Korach, the son of Yitzhar, the son of Kahas, the son of Levi, but it does not say the son of Jacob. Okay, that's it for Rashi right now that I want to um, explain. So just to kind of recap that, I hope, I hope this is all making sense and the details are not getting too confusing here. Basically, Jacob so far has spoken to, to, to three of his 12 sons. Reuben, he tells, Reuben, he says, you had it all and you lost it all. Okay, whoops. Shimon and Levi, you guys are like my brother. You guys are like Esau. You guys are, are, are murderers. You guys are, you have blood on your hands. You guys are, are all about weapons and violence. I don't want any part of this. Let my soul not enter their council when it comes to, to Zimri and my honor. You shall not join their assembly when it comes. That, that's from the tribe of Shimon. And don't join their assembly. Korach, who is from the tribe of Levi. So Shimon and Levi both have um, interesting incidents that happen with their uh, great-great-great-grandkids, or whatever it is, uh, later on in the Torah. Okay, and, and the, with their wrath they killed a man, and with their will they hamstrung a bull. Oh, I feel like I wanted to pull up Rashi on those two things as well. Rashi says, they killed a man, that refers to Hamar and Shechem, okay, that we already said, and hamstrung a bull, they wanted to uproot Joseph, who's called a bull. Okay, that's it. So it's referring to their, their incident, the, the, the murdering of the people of Shechem and the plot against um, Joseph. That's the bull. All right, let's continue verse number seven. Cursed, look at this, cursed be their wrath, for it is mighty. And cursed be their anger, because it is harsh. In other words, it's their hot-headedness that is, that is undesirable. Their wrath their mighty wrath is not good. 
and their harsh anger is not good. Which means that there are some times maybe that you can have some sort of, you know, righteous indignation that leads to something positive, but not when it's too strong, not when it's too harsh. Then it, then it can go overboard. And look what he says here. I will separate them throughout Jacob. I will separate them throughout Jacob and I will scatter them throughout Israel. Because when they're in tandem, Shimon and Levi, they band together and create you know, very strong reactions. Therefore, I'm going to separate them out. I'm going to separate them throughout the land. What does that mean specifically? Let's take a look at Rashi. Rashi on verse number 7. Rashi says, I will separate them from one another so that Levi will not be numbered among the tribes. Remember, the tribe of Levi ultimately becomes the priests, the Levites and the priests. So they're not counted among the 12 tribes. They don't have a portion in the land, and they are separate. Another explanation, there are no itinerant, itinerant pauper scribes or teachers of Israel, uh, uh, teachers of children except for the tribe of Shimon, that they should be scattered. The tribe of Levi was made to go around to the threshing floors for heave offerings and tithes. Thus he caused him to be dispersed in a respectable way. All right, either way, both Shimon and Levi, their destiny is to kind of be scattered and separated throughout the land because when they band together, it can get violent. All right, so that's the first three sons, Reuben, Shimon, and Levi. So far, I'm going to call them 0 for 3 in blessings. Right. I mean, like, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm just saying it's kind of harsh. Or if on the harsh scale, we're three for three. Next, Judah, son number four. Judah, as for you, your brothers will acknowledge you. And what does that mean, acknowledge you? They will say that you are the leader. They will acknowledge that you are the strong one. You are the mighty one. You are the role model. Your hand will be at the nape of your enemies, and your father's sons will prostrate themselves to you. Basically, it's at this point where Judah officially becomes coined the leader and the mighty one amongst the, the brothers and amongst the tribes. Of course, King David comes from the tribe of Judah, but this is where Judah is given the blessing to be the strong one. All right, let's continue. A cub, oh, I'm sorry. It says your father's sons, in other words, your brothers, will prostrate themselves to you, obviously. Prostrate themselves, that's a sign of royalty. When King David will be a king and King Psalm will be a king, everyone else is going to bow down to you, Judah. You will be uh, the, royal, uh, the royal tribe. All right, let, let's continue. A cub and a grown lion is Judah. So Judah is likened to a cub and a grown lion. From the prey, my son, you withdrew. Mm, interesting. You could have pounced, but you didn't. We'll look at Rashi and see what that's referring to. He crouched, rested like a lion, like a lion who will rouse him. So many lion analogies here, so many connections between lions that are being drawn. Let's see specifically what the reference is as we look at Rashi on this verse. A cub and a lion is Judah. Well, who's the cub and who's the lion, Rashi says? He prophesied about David, King David, who was at first like a cub. First David was kind of tame. He was like the, the little guy. I'm skipping the verse. And then at the end, he was like a lion when they made him a king over them. So David begins as, a, you know, as like an upstart. David and Goliath, he kills Goliath, but no one knows who he is. He's like a cub. You know, cute, semi-dangerous, but cute mainly. And then he becomes a full-grown lion and uh, becomes the king. 
from the prey you withdrew. What does that mean? From what I suspected you of, from what I suspected of you, namely that Joseph has surely been torn up and wild beasts devoured him, this referred to Judah who was likened to a lion, you withdrew. What does that mean? Rashi says, you withdrew yourself and said, what is the gain if we slay our brother and cover up his blood? Rashi is pointing at something we already know. It was a Judah's suggestion that they did not murder their brother Joseph. Yosef. Judah says, what's the point of killing him? Let's sell him. Make, at least we make some money on it. So that's what ya- Yaakov, that's what Jacob means. From the prey, you withdrew. They, you were about to kill him, and you said, no, let's not kill him. Yeah, you with me on this? He, he, they, the brothers, the rest of the brothers wanted to pounce on Joseph and kill him. And Judah, because of you, you withdrew. You withdrew. And you sold him as a slave, but you didn't kill Yosef. Crouch, rest like a lion, like a lion who will rouse him. That's good. That's uh, sleeping lions should not be roused. Not a good idea. Even when the lion's sleeping, the lion is powerful. It's a blessing to, to Judah that even when Judah is quiet, there's still a ferocity there. There's still, uh, there's still an energy there that, is, that ought not be messed with. That ought not be messed with. To give you an example, and, and this is, you know, Judah is, is Jew. The, the word Jew comes from the tribe and, and the word Judah. Yehuda, Yehudi. That's, that's, what, that's what a Jew is. And the idea here is that the soul, even when it's dormant, this is something I've shared before, even when it's dormant, even when it's quiet, the full, the full Yiddishkeit, the full, uh, the Pintaliyid, as it's called, is still there. And so all it takes is sometimes a poke, and it comes out. And we see this. We see this, right? God forbid it, we see this in the negative. Something happens, a tragedy, uh, something anti-Semitic, whatever it is, and suddenly, you know, all the, the full force of the soul and the pride comes out. It shouldn't take a negative incident to bring it out. But either way, like a lion, who will rouse him or who will dare rouse him? It's not a good idea to, to poke. Yeah, but he's so cute, he's sleeping. All right, all right hold on. Not, not, not a great idea. Let's continue the scepter, and this is clear. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter, of course, means the royal dynasty. Shall not depart from Judah, nor the student of the law from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. That's a reference to Mashiach, to the Messiah. Oh, we talked about the Messiah before, and now, once again, oh, because he wanted to reveal to him when it's going to happen. So he doesn't say when, but he says, ultimately Mashiach is going to come from the tribe of Judah. Till Shiloh comes, and to him will be a gathering of peoples. And this is, of course, the idea that everybody is going to gather and be inspired in the Messianic era. So this verse right here is one of the allusions, one of the hints in Torah to the coming of Mashiach. He binds his foal to a vine and to a tendril, which is a small cluster, a young cluster of grapes, he he binds his young donkey. He launders his garment with wine and with the blood of grapes. I hope it's not a white garment. Man, oh man. That is not, I mean, I use um, Tide or some other brand. Huh? Ox- it's got something with OxyClean in it. I've never tried the old wine formula. I mean, that seems like a, I don't know. But launders his garment with wine is certainly mean, means, certainly means something else, which we'll get to in a second. And with the blood of grapes, he binds his raiment. All right. Sounds very purpley and red. Um, but let's take a look at Rashi over here. These are beautiful allegories, of course. It's very poetic language. Let's see what it means. 
Okay, he launders his garment with wine. Rashi says, all of this is an expression of an abundance of wine. He'll have so much wine, he won't know what to do with it, he's going to start laundering his clothes with wine. I don't know that this is an expression that we would use. I can't, I can't picture myself using that expression, you know, just in conversation. But, according to Genesis, Barashas Rabbah, according to the Medrash, this is an expression of wealth. That Judah is going to be so wealthy, they'll be like, I don't know, Dripping in wine, if that's a thing. Um, all right, I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna skip uh, this long Rashi. We get the gist: royalty, so, uh, leadership, uh, and wealth. So yeah. Of all the sons, it's just Judah, like that happened to be get the right personality, right? Is that it? I guess so. Judah maximized his, got, got a good personality, but also maximized his gifts and got it done. Judah was the leader. Everyone listened to Judah when he said, sell Joseph, right? Um, his father listened to him when he said, I'll take responsibility for Benjamin. Clearly, he had this quality of leadership that was very strong. So I think he had the right combination of, uh, of personality, you know, talents and gifts and whatever. But he also got it done. Maybe Israel should be called the land of milk and wine instead of milk and honey. Ooh, I like that. Oh, look at that next verse. Look at that. He is red-eyed from wine and white-toothed from milk. Look at that. Red-eyed from wine. It sounds like he had a little too much to drink. But I don't think that's what it means. I think red-eyed from wine... Um, you know what? I actually have this chomish here as well. Let me see what it says here. Yeah, oh, it says, yeah, people will be red-eyed from wine. It means there will be so much wine, they'll be red-eyed. And white tooth from the abundance of milk. So here's the first time that we find that milk is good for your teeth. Now, where did this come from? Yeah, where did this come from? It comes from the Bible. How do we know that milk is good? Is calcium, right? This is, you can learn medicine from the Torah. This is what I'm saying here. I always tell you guys, we can learn everything from the Torah. That's the way it works. Um, Rabbi, last night I was thinking when you were mentioning about how the Matrix movie, yeah. they didn't realize they were, they were inspired by the Torah. That's another yes. Judaism's gifts to the world. Judaism's gifts to Hollywood. This billion-dollar franchise is, uh, has, has its roots in Kabbalah. Look at this red eye from wine. I actually was joking before, but it, it turns out I was serious. Who has blood, bloodshot eyes, Right? It is common for those who drink wine to have red eyes. So the idea that he is red-eyed from wine means that why, why so many bloodshot eyes? Because of all the wine that everyone's drinking, which shows on the abundance of wine, which wine is a sign of royalty and richness and, you know, all that stuff. That's one of the reasons, by the way, obviously, once I should, I should comment here, obviously, if, if, the, if it's a problem, if it's problematic... Don't drink. <laughs> that goes without saying. But we're talking about, in general, wine being a sign of luxury and opulence and wealth and royalty. It's considered to be a hush of a very important, you know, very um, prominent drink, if you will. Um, it's that's one of the reasons why we make kiddush on a glass of wine. That's why on Passover we drink four four cups of wine. The reason is because of royalty. The reason is because of this idea of. Of, of celebrating. What other way to celebrate the, um, the specialty of a day than to indulge in it on some level, and that's with a, with a glass of wine. What about milk? What's with the white tooth from milk? So Rashi says, due to the abundance of milk, 
That's why it'll be so white-toothed. For it, it is in his, Judah's land, that there will be good pasture for flocks and sheep. This is the meaning of he shall be red-eyed from abundance of wine and he shall be white-toothed from an abundance of milk. There are other, there are other interpretations, but I, I, I think we're good. I mean, I'm good. I'll speak for myself. I think I'm okay. I'm satisfied with the wine and milk conversation. I just love the fact that if you drink a lot of milk, according to the Torah, according to Jacob, you get white teeth, nice, white, healthy teeth. Who needs the, um, the whitener stuff? Just uh, milk does a body good. Next, <laughs> next. So we're four kids in. We got 12 total, so we're a third of the way there. Let's keep on going. Jacob now turns his attention to Zvulun. And at this point, you can imagine this, the, his sons are like, uh-oh, am I going to get one of the good ones or one of the not-so-good ones? Like, eh, is it going to be a blessing or you know, some uh, not, not such a blessing? Zvulun, Zebulun, Zvulun will dwell on the coast of the seas. His portion in the land of Israel was, is going to be on the coast of the Mediterranean. Which is where it was, actually. This is a prophecy, obviously, but it actually was. He will be at the harbor of the ships, of the ships, and his boundary will be at Sidon. Zvulun, this tribe, they were seafaring merchants. That's what, that's what they did for a living. They had ships, and they bought and sold, imported, exported. They ran the, the, the ancient Israel shipping Industry. That's what they ran. Um, let's check, take a quick look at Rashi. You guys... Say it again. Sarah, say it again. You cut out. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, now I can hear you. Yeah. Have you guys heard... Okay, awesome. Have you guys heard of the um, Jewish pirates? Jewish pirates? I, I came across an article once, so I was just wondering. Yeah. No. Yeah, like, I think it's in Jam Jamaica. They were talking about the Jewish tribes down there. And that they Interesting. Were, like, pirates. Merchants, really, I guess, but... Right. They called them pirates. Interesting. Anyway. All right, no, I got I to gotta take a look. If you, if you come across that article, send it to me. Very interesting. Very interesting. As a guy from Pittsburgh, you know, anything pirates-related, I'm all, I'm all in on. Um, that was a joke. Surprise. No, but that's, that's very interesting. Seafaring uh, merchants. So it must be in the blood. And Zvulun would have been one of, the, one of the ten lost tribes, so who knows where they ended up. That is an interesting, an interesting idea. Um, Rashi says, as I mentioned, his land will be on the seacoast. Obviously, this is a prophecy of what would transpire hundreds of years later, two, three hundred years later, when the Jews would enter the land of Israel after the Exodus, um, that Zvulun would get that piece of the land. He will constantly frequent the harbor of the ships in the place of the port where the ships would be merchandised. Why? For Zvulun would engage in commerce and provide food for the tribe of Yisachar, and they, the tribe of Yisachar, would engage in the study of Torah. So there was a very beautiful partnership between Zvulun and Yisachar. Zvulun, they were the seafaring merchants. They made money. And Yisachar, which we're about to read, Yisachar, they were the Torah scholars, and Zvulun made money and supported the Torah scholarship of Yisachar. Um, this is the meaning back in Rashi. This is the meaning of what Moses said before his passing. He also spoke to each of the tribes. He said, Rejoice, O Zavulun, in your going forth, and Yisachar in your tents. 
What does that mean? Zvulun would go forth to engage in commerce, and Yisachar would engage in the study of Torah and tents. All right, the boundary will be at Sidon. The end of his boundary will be near Sidon. Okay, fine. All right, back. Let's toggle Rashi off, and let's keep on going. Yisachar is a bony donkey. Is a bony donkey lying between the boundaries. Wow. What in the world does that mean? Rashi says, and I'm just going to paraphrase this. This is from the Gunnic edition, which has Rashi, some of Rashi's commentary in it. It says, Yisachar is like a donkey with strong bones. Why? Because he bears the yoke of Torah. Like a donkey that journeys day and night, resting temporarily between the city borders, the Torah scholar cannot rest day or night from Torah study. So like the donkey that's strong because of the burden and moving 24-7, right? The, the, the donkey is like, it's very strong. No matter when it's traveling between boundaries, it keeps on going day or night, it's traveling. So too the Torah scholar is strong, carrying that burden, that torch of Torah and day and night studying. Okay. He saw a resting place that it was good and the land that it was pleasant. And he bent his shoulder to bear burdens and he became an indentured laborer. What does that mean? That means, I'm going to read here from Rashi. Yisachar will see that his portion in Israel is good and that the land is fertile so that he will not have to do work, so that he will not have to work hard. Basically, since Yisachar, they were Torah scholars, they didn't have time to work the land. So they got the land that was very fertile that would almost produce um, on its own. Consequently, he will bend his shoulders down to bear the yoke of Torah and will, and will pay his dues by serving the rest of the Jewish people, teaching Torah law. So they will be the scholars and the teachers and um, won't have to deal with the, the physical part of the labor. All right, next, we got one more, one more tribe before we close out for today. Dun will avenge his people like one, the tribes of Israel. What does that mean? This is referring to the ancient battles against the Philistines, which were, this is, still, this is a future prophecy of when the Jews will go into Israel and they'll be um, harassed by the Philistines, by the Plishtim, and a descendant of Dun will be the one to take revenge against the Philistines. And who is a descendant of Dun? It's referring to Samson, Shimshon. You know Samson, like Samson and Delilah, the, the mighty guy, the powerful warrior with long hair. Um, yeah. So that's what it means. Don will avenge his people. That means in the future, a descendant of Don, namely Shimshon, Samson, will avenge his people against the Philistines like one the tribes of Israel. What that means is the tribes of Israel will be as one with him. They will be united under him. Let's continue. Don or Shimshon, his uh, descendant, will be a serpent on the road, a viper on the path, which bites the horse's heel so that its rider falls backwards. So these are all allusions and hints to the life and legacy to, or to the life and times of Samson who attacked the Philistines and drove them back. Um, Rashi says, but when Samson will be overcome by his enemy, he'll, cite, he'll recite the last line here, which is, for your salvation, I hope, O Lord. That refers to Samson's final moments when Samson, his hair was cut, and then his power was sapped, and they gouged out his eyes, he couldn't see anymore, and they put him in, a, um, they put him in, a, in an amphitheater to perform, uh, to, be, to be like um, 
to humor, to entertain, entertain the Philistines. Because, oh, the mighty Samson, look at him. They're all laughing and jeering at him. And in a final moment of strength, he asked God, he said, for your salvation, I hope, O Lord, he said this last line or something along those lines. And he then, God gave him back his strength for one moment and he pushed the pillars, the beams that were holding up that amphitheater and the whole thing crashed down and killed him and all the Philistines that were gathered to jeer him and to mock him and to laugh at him. All of his enemies, they were all destroyed and crushed in that moment. Okay, so that is, that is the end of this reading. Um, that is the end of this reading. And I think, well, it's perfect timing, 1 o'clock. We're going to end right here. Um, what we have so far are how many tribes? Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvulun, six, and Don, Don is seven. Seven out of 12 tribes are mentioned in this, in this reading. So just to recap very quickly, we have Reuven who had it all but lost it all. We have Shimon and Levi who when they're banded together end up, uh, end up riling each other up. <laughs> they're very passionate, but when you put them together, you know, it, 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 could, get, it could get violent at some, sometimes. We have Yehuda who is the leader and who will ultimately be the one who, is, who has the royal dynasty in his blood. Then you have Zvulun, who is the merchants by the sea, who support Yisachar, who are the Torah scholars, and Don, Don's future will be, uh, of his descendants will be Samson, who will be the mighty warrior of the Jewish people against the Philistines. So what's the point? Jacob is speaking to his kids, and he's telling them both about the past and the present, or both the past and the future. So some are incidents in the past that kind of, you know, shape who they are today in this blessing, and that, that moment of blessing, and some are about what they're destined to achieve, and thus it reflects in who they are today as well. All right, um, as far as a takeaway, what's a takeaway? Um, I mean, we have, a, we have a bunch of interesting ideas. Number one, don't let greatness slip between your fingers. <laughs> Number two, uh, don't let anger and rage rule the day. Number three, no, I'm just going through the through in order. Uh, number three, um, know that you have a pintaliid. Know that you have a soul inside. And even if it seems a little quiet, know that you can bring it out and it's, uh, it's, it's, it has that lion-like quality in it. Number four, fourth lesson is um, study Torah and support the study of Torah. And the final message is about Shimshon, about Samson. What's the message of Samson? Message about Samson might be um, defend the honor of your people. Grow out your hair long. I don't know. Something like that. From, from amongst those points is perhaps... Never give up. Never give up. Oh, oh, good. Even in the last moment. For your salvation, I hope, O oh Lord. I like that. The last line over there. Even, even when it looks bleak and, 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 and impossible... There's always one last, uh, one last ability and, to... And he turned to for God's help. He turned, right? to, he turned to God for help. Beautiful. I like it. All right. So we have a message from Ruvain. Don't let greatness slip between your fingers. Shimon and Levi, don't be too high-headed. Yehuda, you, have a, you, you are like a sleeping lion. Well, a lion, whether you're sleeping or not sleeping. You're a lion. Never forget who you are. Zvulun, 
So Yisachar, study Torah, Zvulan, support Torah study, and Dan, always turn to God. It's never too late. It's never, in Shimshon's life, in Samson's life, it was, he, he recognized it's never, never too late to turn to God and to ask God for help. All right, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this uh, dis- discussion and the, uh, and the blessings. Tonight at 7.30 p.m., don't forget, Torah studies tonight. We have an amazing class. Um, join us either in person at Chabad at 7.30 or live on Zoom. Either way, we'd love to see you. Otherwise, wishing you a great day. All right, take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you.